Morning, everyone. Oh. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word, uh, that, that it's the truth, that it's brought us to life, that it has bound us together as your church. And we thank you that every week as we gather together, we gather together around you as you speak to us in your word. Uh, thank you for it just read. We pray as we reflect on it, you continue to speak to us. And please uh, pull back the curtain of reality so that we can see uh, things as they actually are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, don't you sometimes think, why, why can't Christians just get along? You know, why there's so many divisions and denominations and differences? And, you know, when you hear some Christians bad-mouthing other Christians and it just seems sort of so ugly, I wish it could be different, don't you? And in the media, Christians, how are they always portrayed in every movie, everything you watch? Well, Christians are always pictured as judgmental and harsh and critical. And I don't want to be like that, do you? And our world says, look, just live and let live. People think differently on different things. That's okay. That's fine. Don't judge them for it. Don't criticize them for it. And, and, and quite frankly, how arrogant and hateful, really. And I think all of this can impact us. And so we become very, very reluctant to say anything negative about any other Christians or any other churches or any other denominations. And we don't want to be known as that church who's always speaking badly about other churches, do we? And you don't want to be that Christian who's known for bad-mouthing other Christians, do you? But in verses 13 to 15, the Apostle Paul says that there are a group of Christians who are satanic. Have a look at verse 13. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. The Apostle Paul refers to a group of Christian teachers who have come to the church of Corinth and who have been warmly accepted by the Corinthian Christians as servants of Satan. Now that's not live and let live language, is it? That's not being reluctant to say anything negative about other Christians type talk, is it? Paul said that these Christian teachers are, verse 13, false apostles, fake apostles, who are deceitful workers. That is, their work is based on falsehood, on lies. And they're masquerading as apostles of Christ, playing the part of apostles, but not really sent from God at all, not really God's ambassadors. And just as Satan masquerades as an angel of light in order to trick us, so Paul says Satan's servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Though these teachers look like apostles, in fact look like super apostles, though they look like servants of righteousness, the apostle Paul says they're actually doing the work of the evil one. By spreading the lies and deceptions of the devil, they are servants of Satan, says Paul. Wow. Can you imagine talking about someone like this? But that's how Paul, the Apostle of God, speaks about these Christian teachers, satanic. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at four characteristics of these false teachers and false teaching in general. But as we go through each of these four, what I want you to be doing in the back of your mind is thinking, what does this show us about the world we live in? 
How does Paul and what he says about these false teachers pull back the curtain so we can see reality for how it actually is? And that's how we'll finish our time together, pulling back the curtain. But let's start by looking at the four characteristics of these false teachers. And the first is they're satanic. Now, Paul doesn't call them satanic because they're out there in the fields at night under the full moon sacrificing cavoodle puppies to Satan. The thing that causes Paul to call them servants of Satan is... They preach a different Jesus to the Jesus revealed in the Bible. Have a look at verse 4. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. That's what these Christian teachers have been doing, these super apostles, Paul calls them in verse 5, who had come to the church of Corinth. They had come and they had preached a different Jesus to the Jesus the apostles had preached. A different Jesus to the true Jesus who had walked the streets of Galilee. A different Jesus to the true Jesus, as spoken about in the Bible. A Jesus who was about power, success, victory, triumph, winning. Not the crucified Christ who gave himself up to die in weakness to save us from the judgment of God we deserve of sinners. And these teachers had also encouraged the Corinthians to receive a different spirit to the true spirit. The spirit that these teachers taught the Corinthian church about was a spirit of success and the spectacularly miraculous and impressive and had far more in common with the sinful worldliness of our world than with the glory of God. Not the true spirit who humbly in the background opens our eyes and our hearts so that we might come to trust the Lord Jesus. The true spirit who brings us to new life, new birth in Christ, and who grows us day by day in holiness. And these teachers had brought a different gospel, a different way to be right with God than merely by trusting the crucified Saviour. And the Corinthian church to Paul's horror had accepted it easily enough What is it makes a Christian teacher satanic? They teach lies. A different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. Imagine one day you're looking out the the, the window of your house and there comes the postman down on their little bike. And you say, kids, 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 come to the window. Look, look, look. A postman, one of the last of its kind, soon to be extinct. But as you gather around and you're looking at the postman, what you notice is they're just about to deliver a letter from your grandma back home in Brazil, Taiwan. Now, she's the only person writing letters these days, by the way. But she's old school. No internet, no phone, no other way of communicating, just letters to reveal stuff about herself to say how much she loves you. She's written you the letter, the postman's about to deliver it, and then he opens it. He pulls out his pen. He starts changing things, crossing things out, adding things in, making it say exactly what he wants it to say. Now, how do you feel if you are watching this scene out your window? You're furious. You're likely to accelerate the extinction of the postman species. The job of the postman is to deliver the letter from the person, your grandma, who wrote it, to the person who receives it. You, not changed, not adjusted, not added to, not taken away from Because to change it is to effectively hide the truth it contains from you and is to misrepresent the person who wrote it in the first place. It is a criminal offence. Take it into the cyber world. Imagine if each time you wrote an email... 
Each time you sent a text message, somewhere off in that digital realm, someone was intercepting it and changing as it flew through the air and landed in someone else's email box. A different message than the one you wrote was going out to people. Criminal. Teachers of the Bible are to be just that. Teachers of the Bible. To be like Poston who just deliver the mail. Just transmit the message of God faithfully to his beloved people. Don't change it. Don't adjust it. Don't make it, say what you want it to say. The Lord God Almighty has spoken. It's his message. And so Christian teachers are to faithfully bring the message of God to the people. Because to change it is to hide the truth. And to change it is to misrepresent God himself. It's a criminal offence against the Lord God Almighty. Now, do you see a critical, critical thing for us to notice here? Not everyone who says they believe in Jesus actually believes in the true Jesus. It's possible for people to say they believe in Jesus, but the Jesus they believe in is a different Jesus, a different Jesus from the Bible. And this is actually shockingly common because the human heart is an idol factory. The human heart is always working, wanting to produce idols to recreate God as we want him to be so he fits my life so he makes my life better so he is who I want him same with Jesus we keep reshaping Jesus to be who we want him to be and so don't be surprised that people reshape Jesus so that he's the Jesus they want which is not the true Jesus at all so can I encourage you beware of your propensity for idolatry Beware of the pull in your own heart to refashion Jesus so he's the Jesus you want, so you can get on living life the way you want, and in fact, he's there to make it better. But it's the Jesus of your imagination, not the Bible. Beware your propensity of idolatry. But also, can I encourage you, beware of being naive. Not everyone who says they follow Jesus actually follows the true Jesus. Not every church that calls itself a church is actually a church. Because if you're not gathered around the true Jesus of the Bible, you are not a church of God at all. Because you're actually gathered together around an idol. You're actually gathered around a Jesus that bears no resemblance to the true Jesus. Now, there may be true Christians in those churches. But it's very hard for a true Christian to remain a Christian in those churches, in those denominations for very long. Because the Jesus worshipped and taught there is not the Jesus of the Bible, but is false. Do you see, false teachers are satanic because they speak lies like their father, the father of lies, lies that keep people away from the true Jesus and so that from the salvation that's found only in him. By their false teaching, they are sending people to hell. It's satanic. Satan doing his work through them, murdering people eternally. And so, verse 15, their end will be what their actions deserve. If there's a deepest, darkest, most terrible corner of hell, it is reserved for false teachers. Because not only do they not get in, but they block the path and stop others getting there as well. The Apostle Paul says that these false teachers who have been welcomed into the church of Corinth are first of all satanic. But they're also seducers. Have a look at verse 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Do you see the Apostle Paul's great worry for the Corinthian church? It is that they might have been seduced away from their one true husband, Christ. The church of God is the bride of Christ. We are betrothed to Jesus. And in the ancient world, to be betrothed was in some sense considered to be married. Do you remember Joseph pledged to be married to Mary? And then he finds out that Mary is with child, she's pregnant, not by him. And so being a a righteous and godly man, he plans to divorce her quietly so as not to expose her to public disgrace and shame and danger. Now, they weren't married in the sense of living together in sexual union. But the pledge back then, the promise, the engagement was considered so binding that they were in some sense married. That's why Joseph has to divorce her. Not fully married, not consummated married, but married in the sense of bound together in the pledge. In the same way, God's church now is betrothed to Christ. The marriage is not yet consummated. It's not until Jesus returns that we enter into our perfect unending union with Christ for all eternity in glory. But even now, the church in this lesser sense is married to Christ, the bride of Christ, betrothed to Christ. And so here we see Paul as the father of the bride, the spiritual father of the Corinthian church, the one who has made the match between the husband, Christ, and the bride, the Corinthian church. By preaching the gospel to the Corinthians, Calling to them to repentance and faith in Christ, the Apostle Paul has promised the Corinthian church as the bride to one husband, Christ. And so Paul, as their spiritual father, wants to present the Corinthian church, the bride, a pure virgin to Christ on their wedding day when Christ returns, faithfully trusting him, honoring him, following him, the true Christ. But Paul's afraid. He's afraid the Corinthian church has been seduced by these false teachers, deceived by Satan's cunning, just as Eve was in the garden by the lies of Satan, so that they might have been led astray from their pure devotion to Christ to turn from the true Jesus to a false Jesus, from true gospel to false gospel, seduced by the teaching of the false apostles into unfaithfulness to Christ's spiritual adultery. And the apostle Paul says he's jealous for them with a godly jealousy, Not the ugly jealousy of our world that sees what others have and wants it for ourselves. No, no, no. A righteous jealousy. A pure and burning zeal for the Corinthians' relationship with God. Like God's jealousy. The Lord is rightly jealous for his bride, the church. Has a pure and burning zeal that they remain faithful to him. Is righteously angry against any who would seek to seduce his bride away from him. And so Paul has the heart of God. He loves the Lord Jesus. He loves Jesus' bride, the church. And so Paul is rightly jealous for the Corinthian church that they remain faithful to Jesus. And he's righteously angry against anyone who would seduce the Lord's bride away. The Apostle Paul is here seeking to protect the purity of the relationship between the church and the true Jesus. The false teachers are trying to seduce the Corinthian church away from Christ by their false teaching about a false Christ. We need to beware of the seduction of false teaching. Because false teaching often seems so attractive, so alluring, so seductive. Because the idols we create, the Jesuses we create, are the Jesuses we want to have because they're going to make my life 
better. And so it seems very attractive. But the seduction can draw us into destruction. When my kids were very young, we used to watch um, Finding Nemo on high repetition. Finding Nemo, Finding Nemo. It was just, that, that was the show. But there's lots of scary bits in Finding Nemo for little kids. And so you get to the Bruce the Shark bit, and it's, oh, fast forward that, fast forward that. The, the, the stinging jellyfish forest, oh, fast forward that, fast forward. The puffer fish, he goes, oh, oh that's, that's freaky. Fast forward, fast forward that bit. The angler fish under the sea, you know, with those, the glowy thing and the huge jaws. Oh, fast. We watched about a third of the movie, basically, <laughs> lots and lots of times. Um, the angler fish, though. The anglerfish is frightening, not just because of its huge, scary jaws, but because of its seduction. It's got that little thing that hangs out the front, the little glowing bit. And in the deep dark, to all those other little fishies, it just seems so attractive, so alluring, the light, the light. And as they get close, swallowed up. False teaching is very much like that. False teachers hold out a, a, a gospel, a Jesus that just... That's what I want to believe. That's what I like. It resonates with something inside me because it's going to make my life better. And so we draw close and <laughs> Satan swallows us up as his meal. Be alert that we not be seduced. Paul is so concerned to protect the Corinthian church from being seduced away from Christ. In these final chapters of the letter, he's drawn into boasting. And we'll see that much more in the next two weeks. But in order to protect the Corinthian church from being drawn away from the true Jesus, he enters into boasting to show that he is a true apostle of God. God has worked powerfully through him, but God has powerfully worked through his weakness. He doesn't want to step into boasting. It seems so ugly, so mucky. So verse 1, foolish. Verse 16, foolish. But he enters into the muck of boasting in order to rescue the Corinthians from this danger. Though what we'll see is even as he boasts, he does it in this self-effacing, Christ-honouring way that is about his weakness and the Lord's strength and glory. Paul, the spiritual father of the Corinthian church, who has betrothed them to Jesus, now does all he can to rescue them from the false apostles who want to seduce them away into spiritual adultery and so disaster. False teachers are satanic, are seducers, are superficial. Verse 5. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Paul here contrasts himself with the false apostles whom he calls super apostles because that's how they want to be thought of, super apostles. Paul, ordinary apostle. Us, super apostles. Oh, Paul... He did some miracles. Us, we did far greater miracles. Oh, Paul, he had some gifts of the Spirit. Us, we have the spectacular supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Oh, Paul, he spoke about Jesus. But us, we speak about Jesus with far greater cleverness and excellence and eloquence and rhetorical style. Paul, apostle. Us, super apostles. And this sort of thing works on Christians. It works because it makes Christians feel insecure. I don't know if you've ever felt this. You can hear other Christians talking, other Christian leaders talking, and they talk about their super spiritual experiences, their super transcendent connection to God, their super 
incredible elite holiness, their super successfulness, their super speaking, their super natural gifts, their super crowds and popularity, and it makes ordinary Christians feel ordinary, substandard, a little pathetic really. It plays on the insecurities of people. Unless they have a mature faith, they can listen to the super people. And so that's exactly what the Corinthian church did. They listened to the super apostles. And a key area in which the super apostles seemed super and Paul seemed ordinary was in their speaking. As Jez said last week, in that day, the entertainment was traveling speakers who came to town and spoke with great cleverness and eloquence and rhetorical style. Now, Netflix... No YouTube, no Instagram, no Spotify. Travelling speakers were it. And people flocked to hear them. And in this era, the form of speaking was as important or perhaps more important than the content of what was being spoken. Speakers were trained in rhetoric as orators and they trained themselves in clever ways of speaking, devices which made them really interesting and entertaining because entertainment and cleverness in the speaking was was what people of the day admired. And it didn't really matter the content. The more entertaining and more clever, the more people flocked to hear them and the more people actually paid, gave money to hear them. The super apostles just chime into this culture and speak with eloquence, put on all the tricks of rhetoric. They're about being entertaining and clever. And just like all the other travelling speakers, they received money, received money from the Corinthian church. Do you see, the super apostles were about superficiality, surface. They're about their worldly impressiveness, their money, their great experiences, their great successes, and particularly this was evident in their speaking. The fluff and bubble of the form without true content, superficiality. But not Paul. He wouldn't be drawn into this cultural cleverness. He wouldn't be drawn into speaking as a form of entertainment. Have a look at verse 6 again. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. Paul preached knowledge, content, the true knowledge of Christ, Paul was not about superficiality, he's not about surface. Now, he was a good speaker. He was a brilliant man. This letter is incredibly brilliant. He was a persuasive speaker. But he was not about being entertaining and clever and using the best rhetorical devices and tricks of rhetoric and trained orators. And He was about speaking the truth with clarity. He was about bringing the message of God to people clearly because the gospel of God is the power of salvation brought through weak and unimpressive people. Do you see? The false teachers concern themselves with superficial displays of worldliness, but the true teacher of God focuses on the content of the word of God because this is the truth, this is the power shared by weak and unimpressive people. And so this means when we come to Christian things, we need... Our minds switched on. We need to listen to the content of what's actually being said. To not just skate over the surface and listen to the superficial, but rather look below the surface at the content of what's being shared. Because we all know the same brand name doesn't mean the same product underneath. You know, imagine one day I'm ducking off to the shops and Megan says, Oh, we're out of Dove. Can you go buy some more Dove? So I go to the shops and I'm walking around the supermarket going, Dove. Dove, 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 dove. And I grab a pack of uh, dove chocolates. And I come home and I give them to me. I wanted soap. 
Dove soap. Same brand. Dove, Dove. Chocolates, soap. But you don't rub the chocolate on yourself and you don't eat the soap. As soon as you get below the brand name and the wrapper, you realise underneath the content is very, very different. Jesus, Jesus. It's possible for people to say, I believe in Jesus. We're a Jesus church. But the Jesus they follow is not the Jesus of the Bible at all. How would you know? You look beneath the brand name, you look beneath the wrapper, beneath the surface, the superficial, to the content. Just because a church says it's a Jesus church, it doesn't mean they follow the true Jesus. And so you look below for things like, do they teach the word of God faithfully? Is the Jesus they proclaim the Jesus of the Bible? Is the gospel they share salvation in Christ alone? Is the Christian life they set before you the Christian life that the apostles would have us live? Look at the content, which means don't judge a church by its size. A church can be huge because they do not teach the true gospel there. Because they cut off all the hard and sharp edges because they refashion it to be just totally enjoyable and what everyone wants to hear. Or it could be big because God is working faithfully through his word, faithfully proclaimed to draw people to salvation and grow them in Christ. How would you know though? Don't be superficial and skate over the surface. Look under the brand name, look under the wrapper, Look at the content of what is being taught and make sure it's coming from the Bible. The false teachers are satanic, seducers, superficial and self-serving. In verses 7 to 12, Paul focuses on a key reason the Corinthian Christians thought of him as a substandard speaker. You know, Paul, tier two speaker at best. Super apostles, top shelf. And it's to do with the fact that Paul never received money from the Corinthians. Now, we'd probably think, awesome, getting people doing gospel ministry amongst us and we don't have to pay them, that'd be fantastic. They did not think like that, particularly not once the super apostles got through slandering Paul about it. Because remember the context of the day. Travelling speakers came and the way, um, if you thought they were impressive, you paid them lots of money. How did you know a good speaker? They got paid a lot. People flocked, people gave a lot. But Paul got nothing. He, verse 7, preached the gospel to them free of charge. He actually got his money for his daily needs, verse 8, from other churches who supported him. He was a missionary to the Corinthians supported by other churches to do his work there. He wasn't a financial burden to them, verse 9, because the Macedonian churches, poor churches, supplied what they needed. And he doesn't say it here, but when he first touched down in Corinth to preach the gospel there and establish a church, Paul worked part-time as a tent maker to financially support himself while he ministered among them. But how does the Corinthian church, under the influence of the worldly false apostles, read all this? He's no good as a speaker. If he was, he'd be making a bunch of money. Must be an amateur. Don't quit your day job, Paul. Look at the super apostles. Look at all the money they're making. They must be top-shelf speakers. Paul can't even make a living out of it. Again... The Corinthian Christians have this totally warped worldly way of seeing the world. And what they also can't see is what is actually going on amongst the false teachers with regard to money. Come with me to chapter 2, verse 17. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 17, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. 
On the contrary, we, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those being sent by God. We do not peddle the word of God for profit. Now, why does he have to say that about him and his mates? Well, a couple of reasons. Some people charged him, you know, accused him of not being upfront with how he um, conducted himself with regard to money. And we've seen his defense of this through, through Corinthians. But the other reason is there were people engaged with the Corinthian church who were peddling the word of God for profit. The super apostles. So often false teachers are self-serving. Their ministry is actually about them, their power, their prestige, their profit. That's the super apostles. The very thing the super apostles were doing in taking a bunch of cash from the Corinthian Christians should have alerted the Corinthians to the the fact the super apostles were not sincere but were self-serving. But instead, the Corinthian Christians, with their warped thinking, and, and particularly from the super apostles, saw how much the super apostles were making from them as evidence of their greatness as speakers. So warped is their view of the world. Now imagine this. You're learning to box. And the way you learn to box is you've got two sparring partners. Now the first sparring partner is a world champion. Just absolutely elite they are the person you want to learn from but as you spar with them what you notice is that they don't lay into you you know they're not smacking you around once once in a while you get a tap here here there but it's all designed to build you up push you forward lift you help you grow and move forward and the other sparring partner they've been boxing for about six months and they're actually not very good they're never going to be very much good but what you notice is when you spar with them is they lay into you yeah, they smack you around. You come home with bruises after a session with them because actually what's going on for them, it's about them and their ego and them showing them they're better than you and all that. But imagine you step back from it and your conclusion from both these sparring partners is, well, they smack me around heaps more. They lay into me heaps more. They must be the real boxer. I think I'm going to listen to them. I think I'm going to let them train me. Not that other bloke who's the world champion. That's somewhat of what the Corinthian Christians are doing. You know, the, 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 the super apostles are treating them badly, are profiting off them, are taking from them. It's about them. And yet the Corinthians see that as evidence of their greatness and want to follow them. Whereas the apostle Paul, the messenger of God, is treating them with gentleness and care and not charging anything so that he might bring the gospel of God free of charge and have no... Um, uh, no one confused about why he's coming amongst them, and yet they think little of him. And so into this context, the Apostle Paul boasts, I never took any money from you. I don't want any confusion about why I'm doing this. I'm like a parent ministering to my children, not having the children pay for me. I've come amongst you so I preach the gospel free of charge. And he did this everywhere he went. Now, when he moved on, he would have asked for money from them in order to do the gospel ministry elsewhere. But the super apostles more than happy to peddle the word of God for profit. And so Paul, again, is forced into this boasting in order to remind the Corinthians he is a true apostle of God so that they might avoid the disaster of being seduced away to follow a false Jesus. And the boast here is, we worked to preach the gospel of God to you free of charge. The false teachers are satanic, are seducers, are superficial, are self-serving. But do you see how this pulls back the curtain on reality, unveils a vivid reality, but a vivid reality that is often not so obvious to us. Notice the type of reality the Apostle Paul thinks we live in. 
We live in the type of reality where there is a real heaven and a real hell. Where the stakes of this life are eternal stakes and only those who remain trusting in the Lord Jesus to the end will be in heaven. We live in the type of reality where there's a real heaven and a real hell. We live in the type of reality where there is real truth and real lies about God, about life, about the spiritual realm, about how to be right with God. It's not just all different ways of talking about the same thing. There is, there is truth and there is lies. True things and false things. A lot more false things than there are true things. There are false Jesus and false gospels and false spirits. And to exchange the true Jesus for the false is to exchange heaven for hell. We live in the type of reality where there is real truth and real lies. We live in the type of reality where there is a real Satan a real malevolent spirit being out to destroy us, destroy us by deceiving us with his lies, with his fake Jesus, with his fake gospels, because to seduce us into following a fake Jesus is to lead us away from Jesus and so the only place salvation is to be found. We live in the type of reality where there is a real Satan. We live in the type of the reality where there are real servants of Satan. Whether they know it or not, aware of it or not, there are Christian teachers who are doing the work of Satan, spreading the lies of Satan, lies that draw people away from Christ to eternal destruction. Which means we live in the type of reality where people can be seduced from pure devotion to Christ into another form of Christianity which is not Christianity at all. To another Jesus which is no Jesus at all. To another gospel which is no true gospel at all. Rather it is the lies of Satan seducing your people away from Christ to their eternal destruction. Do you get a sense of the type of reality the Apostle Paul thinks we live in? When I was in year seven, I think year seven, got home one afternoon and um, was eating afternoon tea and uh, sitting there, my dad was home, and we looked out the window and this huge plume of black smoke billowed up in the not-too-distant distance. And I thought, it's the school. It's the school. And so we jumped in the car because we wanted to see firsthand the school burn down. And so we, we get there and sure enough, it's there, but it's not the school. It's right next to the school. A petrol tanker had taken a corner way too quickly, had rolled over, split open, burst into flame. The driver had managed to escape miraculously, but there was this river of fire running down the hill next to the school. Big, huge hill. Uh, and running down the hill just... Every, Everywhere, far, far, far. I was running down, lapping over the gutters onto the, onto the nature strip. And the grass was on fire and the trees were on fire. And I was running down into the, into the drains and under the ground was on fire. And I was running down to the creek that was running along the bottom of the street. And then into the creek and ran along the surface of the creek on fire. And the, the sides of the creek were on fire and the trees were on fire. Everywhere you looked was fire, and there are firefighters trying to hold it back, hold it back from all the houses around. A river of fire running down the hill, igniting everything it touched. That's our world. The lies of Satan are like liquid fire from hell, cascading down and down, in and through everything, through our media, through our movies, through our politics, through our universities, through our schools, through our preschools, through our social media, through the religions of the world, touching every thought in society and tainting it to keep us in spiritual blindness and heading to hell. And the fires of hell threaten to flow into our churches via false teaching unless, like the firefighters, we intentionally stand against it. Is this your view of the world? Because if this is your view of the world then you know I need a watchman on the castle wall. I need people scanning for the enemy in order to be vigilant and stop any attack of false teaching. 
And the leaders of your church are to be watchmen on the wall, vigilant in spotting the lies of Satan and courageous in killing them. And your mind is to be the watchman on the wall for yourself, for your family, for your others, vigilant, alert, courageous, on guard against the superficial, self-serving, satanic seducers. I used to have a, a 2004 model car. End of last year, I sold it and I bought a 2016 car. A lot, lot changes between 2004 and 2016, a lot more bells and whistles. One of the things I sometimes like is the uh, sensors, you know, the parking sensors. Beep, 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 beep. When, whenever you get close, you're about to prank your car, you're about to damage it on a gutter, that sort of thing. Beep, 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 beep. Warning, 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 Graham, don't. As Christians, we need to so look at the content of the Word of God that we develop a knowledge and love of the word of God in our heart, in our mind, that our heart and mind become like the senses on the car. Every time false teaching comes anywhere near us, we feel it. We feel it within us. Not right, not right, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. And so we can be vigilant. And has there ever been an era in which Christian church has required more vigilance and discernment than it does today? When I was first a Christian long time ago. Where did I hear Bible teaching? Well, in my church. And maybe once a year I'd visit another church. And a couple of times a year I'd go to a Christian conference. But we knew all the speakers, we knew the sort of good content that they brought. And at the end of the conference we'd buy audio tapes. And we'd stick the audio tapes in our Walkmans. Walk around with it. Um, And we'd swap the audio tapes with each. But the audio tapes were from the Christian speakers of the conferences and we knew them and we trusted them because we knew the content that they brought. How the world has changed. Nowadays there is a whole cyber world of Bible teaching which ranges from the wonderful rich and solid through the flimsy trite and shallow to the downright untrue, destructive and hellish. And it's all there right in your pocket. Has there ever been an era in which the Christian church has required more vigilance and discernment than it does today? Let me finish by talking about vampires. (laughs) You know, one of the terrible things about vampires is that they look just like us. They live amongst us, but all the while they're planning to catch us alone and unaware and drain us dry. And often vampires are beautiful and they're alluring, they're very attractive and hidden in plain sight but drawing us to them, but all the while they're after your soul. But one of the ways you can spot a vampire is to to, to look in the mirror. You're standing there, you look in the mirror, you see your reflection, they're standing next to you, no reflection. And then you know it's a vampire. And so you step away and steer clear of the vampire and do all you can to protect yourself and others from them. Now, someone at the last service said, you have to, you have to make clear that we don't believe in vampires here. <laughs> We've got a whole bunch of people left the last service thinking I'm talking, actually, but anyway. <laughs> false teachers, false churches, false denominations are like vampires living amongst us hidden in plain sight and often their style and their success and their teaching is very attractive very alluring very seductive but all the while it's the lies of satan after your soul and what we need to do is look at these people these churches these denominations in the mirror of god's word what does the word of god show about them and if they don't have a reflection (laughs) if it shows them for what they actually are, servants of Satan, then we step away. 
We keep our distance. We stand against and protect ourselves and others from them. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus and for the wonderful salvation that's won in him. Uh, We thank you for the, the beautiful gospel, for the spirit of truth. And we ask, please keep us safe from being seduced by the lies of Satan. Please give us vigilance and alertness and please enable us to be discerning and look beyond the superficial, the surface, uh, at the content. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.